welcome aboard the battleship pretension i am tyler smith i am david Bax, and thank you for listening david mm-hmm. how you doing uh, i'm doing very well because we have a um a letter from a listener yes yes we do um i'm sorry i forgot to remind you yes no uh d i'm just looking at the return address d something i'm not going to re- read his last name okay. um and d i'm sorry this has taken so long uh it's, we've, i've actually had this for a few weeks now but uh scheduling has been weird um trying to get it so oh this is fun oh yeah oh this is fun i'm not gonna show tyler until i get to the thing okay oh, excuse me okay so I'm sure what's happening right now is probably very noisy, right? It's a little noisy. Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. So Dave is his name. I'm just going to start reading this. I hope it's not uh, vulgar. Dear Tyler and David yonks ago. What? I don't know what yonks means. Mm. I was catching up on episodes and you had a brief discussion about whether or not the $2 bill was viable as legal tender. I have no, I have no recollection of this conversation in true BP fashion. You talked around the topic without arriving at a conclusion. Sounds right. So I thought I'd help you out enclosed. You'll find a very spendable $2 bill for each of you. Hey, all right. Um, now we're doing this remotely and I got to the post office box first. So it sounds like four bucks for me. Uh, uh, he says i'll recommend using them when you have the opportunity to leave a cash tip because as you discovered they make for interesting conversations since people see them so infrequently okay i hope this part is okay Uh, as an aside of little of little interest to anyone but me though germane to the sending of this letter you are now the second podcast i have sent two dollar bills in the mail my friend started his podcast jj meets world there you go You, you got your friend's podcast plugged on our show jj meets world uh in a show of support and just to fuck with him i crafted a character and ended up mailing him 60 dollars in two dollar bills before revealing myself on the podcast <laughs> sorry you only get four dollars enjoy being slightly richer all the best day <laughs> oh, that's fun all right we got two two dollar bills based on a conversation that i don't remember well and and you know i uh I don't remember the specific conversation, but I certainly know I've had this conversation and it it is legal tender. Like that's something I definitely knew you can spend it. It's fine. And the re the, the reason that it sticks in my craw, um, is that when, when I was in, I want to say third grade, we are learning about money and learning about all the different ways you can, all the different combinations of change and bills and that sort of thing that you can do uh, to arrive at a certain place. So, um, so this, the teacher said like, okay, $2, you know? And so people were like, oh, you know, eight quarters or whatever. And then I said, what seemed to me pretty obvious, but no one was saying it. And I said, $2 bills. Now what I meant was two $1 bills. She took it as, you know, $2 bills, you know, just $2 bill. Yeah. 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 Um, and she said, she said, uh, no, there are no $2 bills. Now at the time I was angry cause she misunderstood what I was saying in retrospect, I want to get that person fired. There are yeah. $2 bills. You can spend them. Like it, it blows my mind that she said that to me. Yeah. It's like, look, I get, I'm a little kid 
And she's trying to get us to understand money in general. The idea of there being a rare bill that you can spend, but no one uses. It's like, okay, I get maybe not wanting to go into that, but the opportunity has presented itself. So why not uh, say that? Why just fucking lie to a little kid? Like I'm so much more, I'm so much angrier now. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I was angry because I was misunderstood. Now it's like, she was wrong. This, this person who's an educator. Yeah. Yeah. I was down. Didn't like it. Oh, that's, that's crazy. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think if I, I imagine the $2 bill discussion probably involved that story in some capacity. (laughs) Probably. Yeah. Um, my only story of being angry with the teacher Look, in retrospect, I was wrong. Sure. But I was so sure I was right at the time. This was probably like third grade, probably. And it was about like uh, syllables. And it was like the quiz was just like, here's a list of words. Put how many syllables each word has. And one of the words was spelled. (laughs) It's a word that you know. Okay. It has five letters. Only one of them is a vowel. C H I L D. Child. Okay. Which I often said as child. Like, like fire. It yes. Often sounds like two sounds syllables. like two syllables. Yes. And so I got my quiz back. I had put two syllables for child. Mm-hmm. A word that I to this day I I think still say as if it's a two syllable word. Yeah. Um got my quiz back and it said I was wrong. And I like went up to her desk and I was like, um, uh, Mrs. Patrol, I think you, you made a mistake. You said that I got this wrong. She was like, no, that's, that's right. It's one syllable. And I was like, no child. And she was like, <laughs> child, it's like child. So I'm like in third grade, like arguing with my teacher about it. Just, I was just saying the word child back and forth. Uh, it's- but that's not the same as your thing because I was wrong. But it's right. still like I was taught that like how many times will you like clap when you say the word or yeah. whatever like that's how you figure out how many how many syllables and I I still to this day say child it takes me two beats to say the word child yeah with with the uh, with the hard I like fire like child like it's it, for it's hard to say that like the way she like saying child child. Yeah, you're essentially replacing the I with with like a long A, child. Yeah, like child. like a like a yeah. southerner. Um, and so right, like, which she was, by the way. I mean, she was yeah. from Southern Missouri. Yeah, did she so have an southern, accent? southern enough to have an accent? Yeah. Okay. And so yeah, so it's tough. So you were wrong, but I think what I would have preferred in that instance is her to at least acknowledge that a lot of people say why, it. Yeah. yeah why you would think that and yeah. and say like you know what i understand why you would say that but actually it's just the nature of this word it sounds like two but it's actually one yeah um so the only other tiny thing so we're, we're like in a time crunch we just finished doing a very long movie journal mm-hmm. and in the interest of getting on to the next episode there was something about licorice pizza that i didn't say at the end of the uh uh of the movie journal because i was afraid it would start a whole conversation which it might uh we've talked we did a whole episode about age gap relationships and people being like um thinking that like like condemning the movie licorice pizza for even depicting um 
an age gap, like a, a, a relationship with as big an age difference. Uh, one of the per- people being a minor, like, and, and we, we did a whole episode talking about that. And I just feel like we completely ignored the other problem that people have with licorice pizza, which I think is a little more, uh, credible, <laughs> more okay. legit. John Michael Higgins character more than once in the movie oh, yes. does an over the top, very offensive Asian accent. Yes. And I will admit to this is, you know, my white privilege or whatever, that the first time I saw, after having seen the movie, the first time I saw someone point that out as a problem, my first reaction was like, but he's the butt of the joke. The joke is about him being a racist buffoon. And I still think that's true, but I also like, I, I think it's worth trying to see it from the point of view of an Asian American say who their entire life, that voice has been right. used to belittle them, to, to mock them, to demean, like just the inclusion of that voice. Um, especially like coming from a white guy coming from a white filmmaker. I do think that, that, that complaint has more merit. I don't know if I'm going to go so far as to say, I don't know. It's not, I'm not in charge of uh, saying what Paul Thomas Anderson should or shouldn't put in his, in in his movies. But I will say that I have come to definitely see that complaint and, and see it from the point of view of, of people who are bothered by that and and think that that's a, a legitimate gripe against the movie. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I saw it, I definitely like cringed. Like I didn't, I didn't laugh, but not because like, I was incredulous that like this character would think that, that the character would think this was yeah, a, a, yeah. an appropriate thing. And that he's like, actually that this is, this is the same as speaking Japanese. Right. Um, right yeah. And, and then to bring him back uh, and have him be even worse uh, yeah, like, to, a, to a second Japanese woman. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and it's tough because this goes, this does go to a, a conversation that's, that has been had like in the last 20 years about jokes that are that are that are meant to condemn racism but in telling them you're engaging in that racism a little bit so that you can poke fun and this idea it's like yes but what if that joke is in what if what if that joke is empowering to people that might actually think that thing Mm, um yeah and that doesn't mean that the person shouldn't tell it it's just like that's the risk you run uh, when you do something like that. And here, I think the film does a very good job of truly making him not merely the butt of the joke, but making him like, ugh, like you really like you actively don't like him, yeah. which is tough because I like John Michael Higgins. He, I think he's a very likable person. Yeah. But I think the film does that. But at the same time, you never quite know if someone could watch that and just genuinely laugh. Uh, right. about like yeah. I, I can't imagine anyone watching and be like yeah that's how they talk um i don't think anyone would do that but they might i don't know the life might the laugh might not be a hundred percent wholesome um and yeah. yeah and i do think that yeah there's this possibility it's like it definitely puts us in the mindset of the time but i could also see if you're a, a japanese person or anybody who you know of any nationality uh or ethnicity pardon me that uh that has had to deal with that very specific 
accent being thrown at them. Right. Um, I could see you thinking like, yeah, you're capturing the era, which we did a pretty good job of moving away from if we, you know, uh, thanks for bringing that back. I appreciate it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I definitely, I can see the, the, the frustration. I don't necessarily, like you said, I don't necessarily agree with it. I think he does a, a fine enough job of providing the context to make this character out to be like just a, just an asshole. Um, but you know, it's, uh, I can see the other side of it too. Well, um, I'll use that as a completely uh, non sequitur springboard into uh, talking about tweakedaudio.com. Tweakedaudio.com is where you go for prof- professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Today, I was listening to an album called Incantation Rites by a band called Thronehammer. They're a, a doom metal band from England. And there, uh, it's a fantastic, uh, fantastic album. Sounded great in my tweakedaudio.com earbuds. Those are available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one size fits all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. We're back. And Tyler, let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Valentine's Day is just around the corner. Mm-hmm. We've actually got a little more than a week until Valentine's Day, but next week we'll be talking about the Oscar nomination. So that's, that's always right. a fun episode. Um, so we're going to do our Valentine's episode. We don't do a Valentine's episode every year, but uh, I've been specifically thinking about how um when people talk about romance and genre in movies they seem to default to the rom-com yes and there's a there romance is itself i think a, a a genre whether it's comedic or not um and so i wanted to give some time take some time here to give uh uh the non-comedic romance it's day in court. Uh, it's a type of movie. Here's a, here's a story that will illustrate to you how I was a very normal 17 year old. Okay. Um, when I was 17, I went to Europe with a bunch of, uh, people from my high school. Uh, I wasn't through the high school, but it was all high school kids. Anyway, it's not important. It was an educational tour, but anyway, it wasn't a high school trip. But it was with the high school kids. Anyway, now this was back in the day. This would have been the year two thousand. This is before when you got on a plane, every seat had its own screen. This was right. back in the day when when they were showing a movie, there was a movie showing on yeah. the screen. Maybe they have a couple screens that everyone could see, um, and it was just they dim the lights, and that was just you just that was the movie you were watching. The only choice you had is whether you put the headphones in or not. Yeah, yeah. 
So um, they announce uh, uh, during the, uh, I don't know when, I, I can't remember now when they announced the movie, but they announced that the in-flight movie would be Neil Jordan's, not that they mentioned his name, but Neil Jordan's The End of the Affair. Okay. And you heard a whole section full of teenagers <laughs> go, uh, and I was like, yes. <laughs> uh, so I've been into romance, I think, for a long time. You know, the, that that late high school years would, would have also been the time that I first saw The Bridges of Madison County, which is a wonderful movie. Um, yeah, the, the end of the affair, which I honestly don't think is Neil Jordan's anywhere near Neil Jordan's best movie, but that, that kind of movie was very up my, up my alley at the time, the English patient, uh, these, these, these sorts of things. So, um, it's a genre that I, that I, that I love. And, um, I wanted to use Valentine's day to talk about it. What do you, what comes to mind when you think of non-comedic romantic movies? Um, so I think. I first think of uh, Casablanca. Yeah. Uh, And I tend to think, so as I made my list, there were some things that I purposely tried to remove. And one of them was the idea of like, there are plenty of movies that have a very good romance in them, but they're not, they're not a romance. Um, Okay. And like, for example, um, I, I really love the relationship between uh, uh, Russell Crowe and Kim Basinger in LA Confidential. I think it unfolds in a very natural way. I think they have a nice, uh, a nice chemistry, but I would never consider that film a romance. And I'd say I'm, I'm on the fence with something like Chinatown. Uh, but but I so I tried to look specifically like movies that could be very like the romance is the part the the main part of the film. So I tried to do that, and then I also thought like, okay, well, should I include the idea of a of like an unrequited romance, not a forbidden romance? I we have plenty. I have plenty of those on my list, but an unrequited one where somebody is in love with somebody else and okay it's not totally returned. Um, it's like, well, that's not strictly speaking romantic um, because I think romance is something that, you know, the, the characters might sort of miss each other a little bit here and there. Um, but it is, the feeling is mutual. Uh, uh, maybe eventually, maybe not immediately, but uh, so, yeah. Um, so I first thought of something like Casablanca where it's romance and connection blossoms in the midst of a bigger thing. Uh, and even though, you know, Rick and Elsa, by the time the movie starts, they were romantically involved, but they're not now. But like that's mm-hmm. still, that comes back up in yeah. the middle of something else. Obviously, something like Titanic. You mentioned The English Patient, other movies that won Best Picture. This idea of really exploring the way a difficult situation uh, can, can cause a person's vulnerability to come out, which the, which allows them to connect with somebody uh, in a way that maybe they weren't ready for. But um, I did have a question before we get into it. Okay. When thinking of romantic movies, 
if someone said like, hey, what are some of your favorite romantic movies? My mind will first go to romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I'd say invariably, if, if you qualify it and say like romantic dramas, like, okay, that's fine. But if you say romantic movies, I'll default to romantic comedy. Why do you think that is? I'm not asking you to speak for me, but I think it's true of a lot of people. When they think of romance, they might, they'll probably think of romantic comedy, like when Harry met Sally or, or Princess Bride or something. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, I certainly think when Harry met Sally, the Philadelphia story, these, it, it happened one night. These are the places my mind tends to, tends to go. And I think, I think it's just a more visible version of the, the genre. And it's also seen, um, as less stuffy. Sure. You know, a, a, a lot of romances, you know, people, have the reaction that my classmates had to, to the end of the affair. Like, Oh, <laughs> you know, um, it's, I, I think r- romantic comedy comes up first because it's just the more visible, more popular version of the genre. I was, yeah, I definitely think that is true. And I was trying to think if there's anything contained within the specifics of the genre that, that resonates more with people. And I, and I think that, I think it probably does because while, while romance is, you know, can be melodramatic and, and over the top and histrionic, you know, I, when I think of, of connecting with someone on a romantic level, um, I think of a certain lightness, like I feel certainly my feelings are intense, but also I do feel, that idea of like, like, Oh, I'm walking on air or whatever. Um, Mm. and similarly, just like the, the, the act of, or the process of letting your guard down. Like I remember when Jen and I first started dating and, and slowly, but surely like warming up to each other and, and really getting to a point where we felt like we could be ourselves. And as a result, I feel like we made more jokes and we laughed easier. I do think like the, the, the the fact of of humor and smiling i think it just naturally comes about in a <laughs> in a romance especially if if the characters are falling in love um and so i think and you have characters that are or or in real life you're not sure if you what the right thing is to say in a certain situation you're trying to navigate expectations put your best foot forward and then oh no i messed up I look silly now. I think all that stuff lends itself to like early courtship, I think lends itself quite a bit to romantic comedy because uh, right. s- such so much of romance at that moment is just kind of silly in its own way. Um, but uh, so I think, I think that's why we, why we associate with that first, because I think it, it connects with us on, Especially again, as a as a relationship is developing, I think that fits more with people's experience. Um, well, that, now you got me thinking about what are what are things that are common in non comedic romance, like so what situations. And I feel like you kind of mentioned it with Casablanca. Certainly true of like Gone with the Wind. Um, I'm looking at my list here, Jezebel, like circumstances keeping the lovers apart. Yeah. You know, that seems to be something that gives it this like tragic yearning, you know, like, Oh, I hope they come back together by, by the end or like 
the case of Jezebel, I hope she like is able to realize that uh, Henry Fonda is the dude for her. Is that right? I, I haven't seen a Jezebel in a while, but um, I've never seen it. So, I uh, oh, well, it's uh, well, maybe, maybe not right now. This would be a good time to watch Jezebel because it takes place during a pandemic. <laughs> oh, all right. It takes place during an actual like outbreak of something uh, that actually happened in like uh, Baton Rouge or New Orleans or whatever hmm. um, at a certain time. And so it's a movie that like, while its story is going on, there's also like, we have to cancel our party and they're closing the theaters and we got to right. make sure to wear a cloth over our face when we go outside. It's very <laughs> surreal to think about that movie. Now I watched it right at the beginning of the pandemic uh, and that was a, an odd, an odd choice. But, um, yeah, so we talked about, uh, yeah, I mentioned, I'm just looking at my list here now. Okay. Here's a question. And this might also be kind of a comedic movie. What about romances that are also other genres that aren't comedy? Like umbrellas of Cherbourg is a musical romance, but it's not a comedy or like, the adventures of Robin hood could be a romance, but it's like an action adventure movie, you know? Yeah. That's a good question. Um, I'm trying to think in terms of like, okay, why would somebody see like, what is drawing the person to this movie in the case of Robin hood? I don't think the romance is the reason they're going to see it. Right. Right. Um, umbrellas, but umbrellas of Sherbrooke, Sherbrooke, yeah, maybe, Maybe. Yeah. Um, you know, at, which then leads to a movie sort of like Titanic, where, you know, it definitely was publicized as like, oh, this is a love story in the midst of this historical event. But I think when it comes right down to it, I think most people, because I do think it's a fully realized love story, mm-hmm. um, but I think most people probably went to see sort of the spectacle and, you know, the Titanic is this event that they knew about. And I think they were going to see that. But I might be wrong. Well, I think that, I mean... The romance is one of the things that ta- kept me from wanting to see it when I was dumb and young. Oh, see, it's... Um, I think that's maybe what could account for Titanic having a big opening week or two. But I think mm-hmm. the reason it had the staying power that it did and that people kept seeing it over yeah. and over again, it's that, you know, this doesn't happen anymore, but Titanic was in the theaters for like a year. Yeah. Uh, almost. Um, or if not, I can't remember. Um uh yeah um that was that was the romance um yeah that reminds me of a story that i think i can't remember if i've told on here before when my mom was in high school she worked at a movie theater in st louis or outside of st louis in the suburbs and it had so this would have been in the early 70s uh early mid 70s it had one big screen and then one little screen Mm -hmm. and the little screen would like swap out movies every week or two sure the entire time she worked at this movie theater, the only two movies that ever played at the big screen were the sting and the Godfather part two. Cause that's sure. just how long movies just kept running forever. <laughs> you know, it's not like it was going to come out on DVD at any point. If you wanted to see the sting, it had to be in a theater. Yeah. I feel like that's, there's an episode in there somewhere about like the, the difference between then and now where like, you know, Avatar, for example, stayed in the theater for a long time. But the movies that are big now, not that Avatar was that long ago, but by and large in the modern age, like the the biggest movies are big franchise films. And while I'm sure people did see, you know, 
the new Spider-Man. I'm I'm sure some people have seen it more than once, but uh, yeah, I guess so because it is hanging in there and in, in the box office. But uh, yeah, I think there's there's got to be an episode in there about just like tracking box office uh, and discussing box office trends uh, through the decades. But um, um, which also gets down to like the the way movies are released and that kind of thing. But anyway, uh, okay, so. I, what's become clear to me, I don't know if it's clear to you, that my I have ordered my list based on release date. That's why I keep talking about movies from like the forties and before. Oh, um, okay. That that like uh, mine's completely scattershot. Uh, but it remind, but ordering it this way reminds me. Uh, so another, this is also keeping love very much keeping lovers apart. But there's a storyline that uh, two great movies both have the silent film the fl- uh, flesh and the devil and the soviet film the cranes are flying which I, I, I don't know if we what ideas we have about soviet films but um it feels like it might be a surprise to some people that i think one of the greatest film romances of all time mm. is the soviet film the cranes are flying but both have a very similar thing of like guy and girl are in love guy goes off to war is missing presumed dead woman hooks up with the eventually like gets over it and hooks up with another fella. Then that guy suddenly like comes back, turns out, Oh, he's been found and rescued and comes back and has to confront with the fact that the woman he loved didn't wait for him. Both movies kind of have that same uh, plot and uh, they are two of my favorite romances of all time. So that seems to be uh, in keeping with what I was saying about finding ways to keep people who love each other apart seems to be a big part of of these movies i certainly would not consider castaway a romance but that's a similar story um and it's like right i certainly would not blame uh in that movie uh, helen hunt i don't blame her for moving on like she has every reason to believe that he was lost at sea and it's been several years um but she does have to confront the idea it's like oh this thing this relationship that was very real and we're moving towards marriage uh, and then it was cut short and with it, all of my feelings. And now there it is in front of me. Um, yes. Uh, Dr. Zhivago, I feel like is another example of uh, characters right, that are yeah. in love and then circumstances uh, separate them. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a really effective device. I do think that like when you get into romantic drama, the idea, and I think you might've mentioned it like longing, like pulling characters apart so that we instinctively want to see them want, want to bring them together. Uh, that is, <clears throat> I think that's a big part of it. It's not the only part of it, but I think most of the ones that we really remember have that quality to them as opposed to, I think romantic, uh, romantic comedy where you want them together so that they can have like this fun banter. But, you know, even then there's usually sort of a, often a superficial thing that drives them apart just towards the end. But for the most part, they spend most of the time together Um, as opposed to, you know, looking at, looking at my list here, a lot of these movies are about people flirting with the idea of togetherness or, and so they're, they're kind of apart, even if not literally. Um, 
but uh, and then in other cases, yeah, like uh, I'd throw Last of the Mohicans in there. Um, and well, and then you get into stuff like, you know, Brokeback Mountain, which what's pulling them apart is isn't, you know, a, a war or, a, you know, a pandemic or anything like that. It's uh, the culture in which they they live. Um, like looking at looking at this, that's a big in brief encounter, I think, is a very romantic movie. Um, and yeah. that's another one where their specific <laughs> circumstances are keeping them apart. Um, so. Yeah, that I I don't think that's common to all of them, but a lot of the big ones, that seems to be it. There's an almost doomed quality to to the romance. Yeah. Um, it's been a while since I've seen. Uh, so, but Like Water for Chocolate is a movie where um, the family like for the the guy wants to marry one the younger sister but the family is like no the older sister needs to get married first you're gonna marry and so he ends up he's married to the older sister but they he and the younger sister never stop being in love uh that's a great movie too that's like uh, out of the bible d- uh yeah yeah um like water for chocolate by the way directed by um is it alonso or alfonso Arau? Uh, who's also an actor you would know because he played um El guapo in three hey, amigos right. alfonso Arau. yeah huh. yeah yeah it's a lot of fun in that movie it's a sweater that's <laughs> <I heard. laughs> hey hold up your hat higher just so you can basically shoot him and not care <laughs> uh, that's a very good movie um Okay, so uh, I feel like we have a lot to to get. To. Well, speaking yeah. of um, non-American movie, non-English language movies, um, Chunking Express, sure, uh, uh, is is a is a is a great romance. I haven't seen that one in a long time. Uh, I don't I don't want to just read them off, but I I also don't want to like leave anything out. I feel like a recent trend. Trend sounds like I'm being dismissive. That's not what I mean. But I feel like gay romances and lesbian romances have been more high profile lately. I mean, you could sure. go back to Brokeback Mountain, but really, I think like Call Me by Your Name and then Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Carol. Uh, Carol. Yeah. And then I remember last year and the year before, there was that Kate Winslet Search Ronan movie, Ammonite, which was not very good. But I remember when watching it, I was like, is this just a subgenre of its own now? <laughs> just like period piece, uh, uh, gay or lesbian <laughs> romance. Um, probably. Yeah. Cause it's, cause it would, you, there's, there's less of a stigma to it now. So like, obviously for, for there to be that aspect to the story of like the culture is, is driving these characters apart. It would need to be a period piece, maybe not a hundred years ago. Right. It could be yeah, that's a good point. Twenty or thirty years ago, yeah. but it's sort of it's sort of required, um, unless it's something like that movie. I believe it's called Disobedience. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Which takes place within, I, I believe it's a modern film and it takes place within like Orthodox yeah. Jewish culture. So it's like okay, that can be modern day because they've really specified uh, the culture in which it takes place. You know what episode we've often talked about doing that we really need to do is the direct the non-American director making their American movie debut. 
because I think done that. I don't think we have. We've talked about it so much, but I think because oh, yeah. um, I think because disobedience is directed by Sebastian Lilio, Lilio, Lilio. Not sure how you say his name. Uh, Chilean director, and I think that's his first English language movie. And then he remade his own movie, Gloria. Um, oh yes, as Gloria right. Bell as well. Um, but yeah, uh, I've always, always wanted to do that because sometimes it just like doesn't work, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Like when, uh, Chen Kaigi made, uh, oh, what was that movie called? Oh, no, I don't remember. It's got like, uh, Heather Graham in it and like Joseph Fiennes is real bad. Oh, there's like a mountain climbing, climbing aspect to it. Yeah. Oh, what is that? That's going to bug me now. I'm sorry. The uh, listeners, you're going to have to hear me vamp while I think about it. Uh, while I look this up, killing me softly. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Heather Graham and Joseph Fiennes. Um, that was a while ago. Well, yeah. 2002. Yeah. 20 years ago now. Yeah. That one didn't work out uh, in, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I was out. So I'm like going back to my list with this. It was chronologically. I was trying to find the earliest, like, gay romance that's on my list um and i think my beautiful laundrette uh sure. with a uh, young like punky new wave uh daniel day lewis um uh falling in love with a uh uh british pakistani man it's a good movie yeah i actually uh have not seen it uh but I'm always interested in young Daniel Day Lewis. Um, well, and someone want to borrow that Blu-ray? If we ever see each other in person again, I'll lend you the Blu-ray if you want. I think I'm. I, you know, like if it means I have to give up seeing that movie, I'm fine with not ever. You know, I'm fine with that <laughs> if it means not ever seeing you in person again. Um, okay. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, looking at, like it's weird looking at my list. In some cases, it was just like the first stuff that came to mind. And then I looked through a few other lists and, and just kind of filled in some of the blanks that I, I felt like I had any kind of uh, connection with. And, you know, there, there, isn't, there isn't that much commonality to them. But I will say that I feel like there are a lot of romances, and this is something that you'll find, I think, more in dramas than in a comedy, is how often it starts and sometimes I think it stays in like the infat the infatuation phase, which there will be an aspect to that uh, in, in any romance, I think like where you just like, can't stop thinking about this person. But I do think that there are some movies like lesser romances where they kind of mistake infatuation for actual love. Okay. Um, and I wish I could think of, uh, an example, but like, as I was looking through, you know, an argument could be made that Romeo and Juliet, Juliet is not that romantic and it doesn't have that much real love in it. It's just like youthful infatuation, which is one of the things that leads to the the tragic end. But yeah, I think the right production or staging of it, like sure can acknowledge that without like, uh, being dismissive of the passion. Sure, sure. Because the passion is real, no matter yes. what, even if they are just a couple of dumb kids. <laughs> yes, they are. Um, uh, I, saw, I saw, I'm sure I, I, we've talked about Romeo and Juliet uh, in various capacities on here. And I saw a, 
a stage production of it uh, many years ago when Jen and I first moved here. And uh, I remember like they really like it wasn't it wasn't like erotic or anything, but it was definitely there was a, a real passionate quality to the way the actors related to each other. It's like I, I believe it. I believe yeah. that they are genuinely attracted to each other and really invested in one another. It really worked for me. Um, something that you were talking about when we were talking about these uh, gay romances that the um, the period setting is often part of the like the scheme of keeping the lovers uh, apart. But it got made me realize like oh, there's a lot of romances like hetero romances that are also period pieces. You yeah. know, I mentioned Bridges Madison County and End of the Affair. There's also like Brooklyn uh yep. is, is is a good one um the notebook is a, is a period film you know i've never seen the notebook it's it seems like it's so up my alley i don't know why i it never is. and it's i mean it's full-on melodrama but like in the best way um and yeah. it's, it's really solid i think you'd like it yeah it seems like it, it seems like i would um and so i wonder if there's something to maybe just the idea of like being in love is so hard to like capture in the moment that you need this sense of like nostalgia or this bittersweet like it's already over to like appreciate it in full you know what i mean yes i think so it's uh, i i i think that's a really good way of of approaching it my my way is me my theory as to why so many of them are our period is maybe a little bit more cynical which is I think we have a a romantic like any anything any era or or anything that you romanticize the fact of romanticizing it is immediately going to heighten it. And so I think right. any like any period I'd say like starting from 30 years ago and before I think we have a heightened view of it and romantic drama tends to be a little bit heightened and so you can kind of you can kind of hide some of the elements that people might view as melodramatic in a, in a negative way. Um, you can sort of hide it in the period. Um, and it's, and somehow it's okay to have like these, these hushed tones because like, well, Hey, it's, you know, it's uh, pride and prejudice. It's uh, it's, it's yeah. everything is, everything is very stifled. So of course they would talk like that. Um, well, it's, now, now you've got me thinking about like the, maybe the problem is that we in our present, like the present day culture expects irony. And so people being just earnestly in love in the present day would be too embarrassing to viewers. And so you need this protection of like the, the decades of time uh, in the past, because it's, it's almost as like, well, it makes sense because people were like that back then. And we're not now, even though we are, but we don't like to acknowledge that about ourselves in, in the present day or when we do in movie form, it's often turned into a musical like La La Land or yeah. I guess the star is born counts as a musical. Or um, even, even once maybe once. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, good one. Uh, it's, you know, <laughs> this is a, a smaller thing, but like, you know, in the same way that it's pretty rare to see someone smoking in a movie that takes place in modern day, people still smoke. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's not something. But if you have a period film, it feels wrong for them not to be smoking. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I I I think uh, I think that's 
that's correct. Um, you know, when I think of nineties, like, you know, nineties romances, they're almost that take place in that era with the possible exception of before sunrise, which also, which does have a certain degree of irony to it just in, in, in their characters. Um, invariably they wind up almost by default becoming uh, romantic comedies because there's that ironic detachment where they're commenting on what's going on. And the moment you start doing that, you just kind of start veering into the world of comedy. Yeah. Um, We should probably start wrapping up because like we said, the movie journal went very long and we're on a time crunch. Um, I don't know if you had any others that we didn't get to that you wanted to, to mention Uh, Jean Cocteau's beauty and the beast. I uh, wanted to mention that one. I wanted to mention that to jump into extremely unconventional romances. Okay. Like the shape of water, like her. Oh Um, yeah. You know, and this idea that's like, you know, we've already, we're talking about, you know, these dramas in which, uh, the attraction can't be allowed because they come from different worlds or they're literally separated. Um, and here it's, they're not the same species <laughs> yeah. and yet they're still, which, which then means that like the love, the, the filmmaker needs to work that much harder to really create a connection. Otherwise the audience is going to be like, this is gross. I don't like this. <laughs> and to the, to the credit of Cocteau and uh, Del Toro and um, Spike Jones, they really, and in the case of something like Shape of Water, where one side of the romance, I guess, I guess it's nonverbal on both of their sides. Yeah. You know? um, and so, and then in the case of her, you never, it's, it's only verbal. And so like, these are, these are really hard things to do. Um and yeah, if you have a lesser filmmaker doing it, then I genuinely think like people would not be able to be on board with it. And I actually know plenty of people who just couldn't get on board with the relationship in The Shape of Water. I don't necessarily love that movie, but it wasn't as function of not buying their connection. Um, I think that really comes through. And her, I really think, is is pretty astonishing because... Mm-hmm you're having a character who is simply a computer program. So her arc is not merely falling in love with this guy. It's under coming to understand what humanity is and, and along the way falling in love with him. And it feels completely organic um, every step of the way. Uh, And yeah, like those are, those are movies that, and Beauty and the Beast in general, I'll even throw the the Disney version in there. Like that is the nature of that story. And I think people see, I, I think people instinctively, if they, even if they can't verbalize it, I think people instinctively understand the metaphor there. The idea that th- there are people out there who just life has, has hurt them enough or whatever it is that they just feel monstrous and they have all of these outer layers that everyone looks at and they see that they're like, I don't want any part of that. But if you can peel that away and see the the humanity underneath, 
or the the common humanity underneath, then there's really not that much separating them from, you know, Gaston or or something like that. In fact, there there is a lot separating Beast from Gaston, which is Gaston is a monster underneath. Um, so uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting subgenre of romantic drama that yeah. requires stylization, of course. But uh, but I think some of the best filmmakers really managed to pull it off. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, you, you mentioned a Spike Jones movie and Spike Jones and Michelle Gondry live together in my head. So eternal sunshine of the spotless sure. mind. Um, another one, I cannot believe I didn't, I skipped over this before. Uh, cause I think it's one of the classics of the genre, the remains of the day, mm, which I've never um, seen actually. Oh, okay. Well, well, at least you've at least seen, um, Carmela Soprano and Father <laughs> Phil watch it together uh, in, a, in a, a charged uh, scene, but that's the the thing that's keeping them apart is just Anthony Hopkins' character's like dedication to his like his his role in the household is what it is. He's the butler. He's the top of the 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 servants. He can't he can't do this and he can't even admit that he has feelings uh, for her. And so it's an entire movie of, of longing. Um, But uh, yeah, Uh, great movie. I wanted to throw out a movie. I don't know if you have seen it because, and now it's, everything is just going to be very scattershot and random. Um, Did you ever see Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca? I've never seen it. No. Well, first off in general, Hitchcock approaching romance is fascinating just in it you know because you know that's how you get uh marnie and vertigo um but rebecca is similar to something like jane Eyre, which i think also has an interesting kind of romance to it um rebecca has this a really fascinating uh quality where where you know a, a woman comes into an unfamiliar environment uh, very much in love with uh, with this man um, whose damn whose name escapes me, but he is very wealthy and he was married, but his wife Rebecca uh, is gone. But as you might assume from the name uh, of the of the film, while it is not officially a ghost story, it might as well be. Mm. The house is not haunted. Rebecca's ghost is not in the house, but her absence plays a big role. You know, and this idea, it, it essentially winds up being kind of a love triangle, except one person isn't there. Um, and uh, it's a, it's such a fascinating movie. And I think it's beautifully realized. And it is this idea. It's like these two characters who absolutely love, the, love each other, but he still has this, I don't want to say baggage because he loved his, his first wife as well, but he still has this, um, this extra thing to, to get over. Um, and it's handled in a way that's delightfully Gothic and visually gorgeous and, and, uh, every bit as melodramatic as, as is required. And, uh, I highly recommend it. I think you would really like it. Uh, okay. Just to wrap up a few more honorable mentions or not even honorable mentions, just things I can't believe. I can't believe when you mentioned brief encounter, I didn't also mention in the mood for love because those sure. two movies would make a great double feature. Uh, um, uh, and also when I was talking about, um, lesbian period piece romances, I didn't talk about the handmaiden should have mentioned the handmaiden. Yeah. Uh, and also speaking of period pieces and speaking very recently, my, uh, until we do our next, our top 10 of 2021 list, my, still reigning 
number one champion movie is lovers rock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's my favorite movie of 2020. So that's still, uh, number one. So, um, uh, that's another, another period piece. Uh, anything else you wanted to mention before we wrap up? Uh, my current favorite movie of 2021 is Cyrano and, you know, has always been a romantic story, although there's an unrequited element to it uh, as well. And I do think that the new film just steers so much into the, the romance and does not look back. Like it is not, there's no around ironic detachment. It is unabashed in yeah. its, in its romanticism. But again, and, it's a musical, it, but it is, it is a musical. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then uh, let's see, I feel like I had one other thing to talk about here. No, I think I think I I think I got everything. So, um, I guess Wings of Desire, um, and by something like City of Angels, uh, there's there's an element of infatuation and this idea of uh, you know an angel who know who kind of knows everything about this woman already, and but it's the fact that he's an angel that is keeping him away from her, and then he decides he doesn't want to be an angel anymore, and. Uh, and uh, so he, much like her, he's learning how to be a person while also uh, being falling in love with this woman. Um, and then speaking of of uh, brief encounter, I also wanted to mention summertime. I think summertime is oh a, is yeah a film that has a really a very organic uh, romance to it. I think that unfolds in a way that feels very natural. Yeah, I need to watch that again. It's a good movie. All right. Well. Um... You can find us at battleshipretention.com. That's where you can find reviews of probably something we mentioned today. I'm pretty sure I reviewed Shape of Water uh, uh, off the top of my head. Um, And Portrait of Lady on Fire reviewed that as well. Well, we're not going to play the game of how many movies I mentioned today that I review. Um, But uh, you can find that at battleshipretension.com. You can email us at david at battleshipretension.com or tyler at battleshipretension.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at DavyPretension. Also, please check out my other podcast. It's called The One Where I Met Your Mother. My wife and I I watch an episode of Friends and an episode of How I Met Your Mother every week. uh, Compare and contrast. This past week was season two, episode 11, which in Friends uh, is the one with the lesbian wedding. Um, that's the one with the lesbian wedding and, uh, how I met your mother. It's how Lily stole Christmas. How I met your mother's season two Christmas episode watched in, watched in, and then reviewed in February. <laughs> so that's, uh, the most recent, uh, there, um, you can follow Tyler on Twitter at Tyler pretension. Tyler, what do you have to plug this week? Uh, I will repeat that I have uh, an actual episode of more than one lesson available over at more than one lesson.com in which I talk about uh, James Mangold's Ford versus Ferrari. And then uh, there is my documentary uh, Valley of the shadow, the spiritual value of horror, which you can uh, rent on Vimeo or you can watch on the rediscover television uh, streaming platform. So uh, yeah, I, I would love for people to watch it and, and let me know what they think of it. All right. Um, other than that, we'll get you. Uh, other than that, thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.